Welcome to Gardening Coast to Coast. I'm Gary Polarchek. I have a YouTube channel called The Rusted Garden. My garden's on the East Coast in the state of Maryland. And I'm Callie Kim, and I have a garden in Southern California, and my YouTube channel is called Callie Kim Garden and Home DIY. And Gardening Coast to Coast is all about helping you have a better garden no matter where you live. If you're on the East Coast, the West Coast, somewhere in between, we're all about helping you grow better gardens. And we have a very special episode today. We have some guests on the episode with us. And we're very pleased to introduce Dale and Carrie Spoonmore. And they've developed a really cool app called Seed to Spoon. And we're going to have a great conversation with them today. The whole idea, the question that we get all the time is, when do I plant what, when? And we're going across 50 states and all kinds of different gardening zones. So we thought the theme would really kind of address that. So welcome, Carrie and Dale. How are you guys? We're doing good. Thank you for having us. And could you tell everybody where you're at? Where's your garden? We are actually right in the middle of both of you guys. We are in central Oklahoma in zone seven. Ah, nice and windy out there, right? You were telling me a little bit ahead of the podcast here. <laughs> yeah, today it's actually really beautiful, but it's been like 20 degree or 20, degree, 20 mile per hour winds oh, wow. the, the month. It's been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what Pretty we get crazy, here. crazy, huh? Yes. Yeah. I think last week I was talking about gardening zones, how they're pretty much only used in North America and, well, Canada's part of North America and Canada, because I'm zone seven, you're in the middle, you're zone seven, and zone seven extends all the way across. But each kind of gardening zone, regardless of the number, is unique. We have our own microclimates, our own, um, you know, temperatures, diseases, pests, and all that kind of going on. And I know you guys developed seed to spoon. Can you tell the listeners a little bit what that is and, and how it came to be and what it aims to help them with? Because it's really appropriate with our title today. Yeah. So our From Seed to Spoon app was built to calculate planting dates for you based on your nearest weather station. So it, it eliminates a lot of that zone calculation things that you need to do in the past. Now we just use your nearest weather station to calculate the average uh, freeze date in both the spring and the fall. And then we calculate planting dates based off of that. So that was the original purpose of our app, but it's grown a lot since then. Um, we have pest identification in the app. Um, you can log your garden and see reminders for when it's going to do d different things. And there's a lot that we're building on related to that as well. So it's grown a lot, but that it started just as a place for us to stay organized with our garden because we were just getting started out back in 2015 with our garden. That's pretty neat because I think, uh, you know, people who are just starting out have no idea like what to plant when. And I know that's one of the questions I get asked the most is, is it too late to plant carrots or is it too late to plant squash or when do I start my tomatoes from seed where I live? So that is such an amazing resource for new gardeners and even for seasoned gardeners too, just to be able to, I'm assuming they pop in their zip code or sign up with their location or whatever. And then all these things just populate in the app. So I know I've looked at it several times over the past few weeks since I downloaded it. And it's very, very helpful for really specifying your particular area where you live. What are you guys yeah. growing now? <laughs> right now we are in the middle of the growing season. So we've got pretty much everything going. Our spring stuff is really taking off now and starting to produce pretty well. Our perennial herbs are really starting to put on uh, a lot. We have our tomatoes and peppers in the ground, squash. We're just now starting to plant some of our melons. But it's an exciting time in the garden because it's pretty much everything now we can plant, except for the cool season stuff that's too late to grow now. Uh, we picked up some fruit trees this morning, so we're getting some of those in the oh. ground. Get those established before it gets too hot. 
So I'm, yeah, I'm intrigued because I've not talked with somebody sort of in the middle between us. So you're, so you're out of frost. Mm -hmm. Frost is gone. You've got the warm weather crop. So you are exactly in between us. So I have tomorrow night, we have, um, well, I volunteer at Freetown Farm and we have our plants out. We're doing a plant sale this Saturday. Well, tonight or tomorrow night, it's going to be 32 degrees, 32 degrees. And now we've got to bring everything back into the greenhouse. So we're not quite out of that area yet, but we have the warm crop started and we're kind of good to catch up to you all. And then we'll move across to West Coast weather, which makes it, <laughs> I always say, kind of easy to garden there, except it does get really, really, except really hot. Except the heat, right? And yep. the drought. <laughs> and the drought and the winds. The now, thing- do you, I'm sorry, go ahead. The fun thing about Oklahoma is you get a mix of both. So, so we have some Aprils. Like, so the other day it was funny because we set a, temp- a record for the record high for that day. And the year before we set the, the record for the record low on that day. Oh. So you, you never know what you're going to get. And we get some of these late season frosts. So with us, we have to do a lot of starting seeds and doors, but then putting them out and gambling on different dates and then keeping some held back in case it doesn't work out. We have to do a lot of that here because we've, had frost as late as April 30th or as early as, you know, May, March 30th or some of our last frost. Yeah. So it's, it can be wild here. It's the wild west. <laughs> the wild west. I love that. Now you, you have a couple of kids, right? Do your kids help you like bring things in and out or tell us a little bit about your family and how you garden together? Oh, with <laughs> so we have four kids and another one on the way right now. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. So, um, they all love gardening. They all have their favorite things to do out there. Um, I mean, usually it's the strawberries and they love harvesting all of those fun <laughs> berries. I mean, our daughter goes out there and just starts picking leaves. Like she loves spinach and all of that. And we try to keep them as involved as they can and they love it. That's great. You started with them young and now they're developing yeah. a love for it on their own. And hopefully we'll carry that on to their own families eventually they grew up around the garden they don't really well the younger ones did because they were born in 2015 and later and they have grown up with nothing knowing nothing else and they love it that's great i think that's wonderful one of the big like i got started and then one of the big things i got started gardening because my grandfather would come over when i was in second or third grade he'd come in with a a brown bag it'd be filled with tomato plants and he would just you know, tell me what he's doing and I would help him plant. And if I didn't get that experience, we, well, you guys may be talking, but I probably wouldn't be here because it was that experience at a young age that really kind of, uh, pun intended, sowed the seed of gardening. And it just sparked that passion from really probably first or second grade, you know, all the way up, up until now. So it's hung with me. So I think it's wonderful. The kids are getting to learn, you know, to do that. And you then, you got your garden started really around 2015. What, what kind of made you kind of shift to gardening and, and what do you hope to get out of it? So whenever Carrie and I first met, she helped me discover that I had um, a big issue with anxiety and depression. Before that, I didn't know what it was that was ruining my life. I just knew that every now and then I had this, you know, I, I was having panic attacks. And I didn't know what they were. And she helped me figure that out. And we found this book called The Depression Cure that talked about how we could manage it through getting lots of water and uh, eating the right foods and things with magnesium and calcium and diet and exercise and mindfulness and all these things. And um, we just basically dedicated our lives to trying it out. And part of that started with the garden and I'm autistic and I get obsessed and I got really obsessed and I started binging y'all's channels and watching every video. (laughs) 
Um, and it, I, we lived and breathed gardening and, uh, that was, and we still do. So that's just, that's just our life just became all about gardening. That's it's great. so important. It is. We, we've had several episodes on just gardening and the whole mental health aspect of it. And it's just so important to have that. And, and, you know, you experiencing that in your life, like how did you find getting out in the garden really helped you with your depression, anxiety, and just your overall general mental wellness? I think it helps in so many ways. I think number one, it helps connect me to nature and it helps me be, be mindful and to be in the present and to not be focused on things that happened in the past or worried about things that might happen in the future. Mm-hmm. It also helps me appreciate life more when you see those green sprouts for the first time in the spring. It just it helps you just feel happier. Um, I think it also establishes habit, habits that get you outside into the sunlight. And I think that's a big part of Helping with anxiety and depression is getting exposure to sunlight and fresh air, uh, a sense of purpose, you know. Um, and then also, like, uh, I really like that no matter what happens, if I get busy at, at work or something and I kind of forget about my garden for a week, I come back to it and a lot of new stuff has happened. You know, it just makes me mm. feel connected to that. So I think all of those things on top of the obvious benefits of eating the food from the garden and uh, drinking extra water when I'm hot from working out, gar- out in the garden in the summer, you know, and um, I think all of those things just help build a lifestyle that we've moved towards toward like when we started, we lived in the city, very chaotic, stressful environment. Now we're out in the country with our garden and a bunch of farm animals, and it's just a different lifestyle. And I think that is really what helps me manage my helps me manage my anxiety mm. pressure more than anything. It's also the work in the garden. Um, you know, just the, we're building a bunch of raised beds right now. So just that work, you know, helps me with uh, getting out some of the cortisol flowing throughout my palate all the time. So I think, I mean, what you describe benefits most gardeners. I think that's what we discovered. And a lot of people deal with different mental health related issues, you know, some more extreme, some mild, but it impacts everybody uh, life quality. So that description of the structure really makes a difference you know and for people that don't know i was still am technically but i retired to the uh youtube channel um but i was a mental health therapist for oh i don't know a good 20 plus years and one of the things i always stressed is you need to have a routine you can't just wake up brush your teeth sit in a chair go to work do house chores come home eat dinner repeat because like you're saying and this is true for i think most people when you're sitting in a chair or you're sitting with nothing going on we're not thinking about how great we are and we're the best thing since sliced bread we're thinking about how this problem happened or what's going to happen next or what we did before so getting out into the garden um, really does focus us on the task at hand and for every reason you said i agree um with how rewarding it is, especially now I go out every day, the asparagus must grow by two or three inches in a day and just kind of watching that and enjoying that. And I think most gardeners get exactly everything we just talked about out of gardening. Now we do all have anxiety and on a slightly different note, that's when to get our seeds planted. That is probably the biggest cause of garden anxiety that people have is, is it too late to do this? Or is it too late to do that? Or how much water do I do? Um, or how often do I water my plants? So I do recommend people going now, if they go to pick up your app, how, what's the easiest way for them to find it just by name. If you search for from seed to spoon on anywhere on the internet, you'll land on us. Um, we're on both the iOS and Android app store. There's also a web app, so you can use it from your computer. 
it's really nice if you're entering a lot of data to be able to use your keyboard and that type of thing. So the web app is built for that purpose. That's great. Now, how did you go from, you know, creating this beautiful garden that you have, growing vegetables with your kids, to then creating an app? I mean, do you have background in that? Like, how did that process all happen? Because I find that really fascinating. So we started our garden in 2015. In 2016, we started a YouTube channel because we had, if you look at our website, you can see the before and after of our garden. Yeah. We've gone from nothing to every, you know, to gardens everywhere. And I was talking about it on Facebook all the time. And we needed a place to be able to just, you know, do that. So we started a YouTube channel largely inspired by YouTube. I mean, I'll be honest, like, um, you know, y'all are a big inspiration for us. And we, um, in the face of everything that was going on in the country at that time and all the friction, we wanted a place to be able to put out content on the internet that was uplifting and positive and focused on helping people. And that was how well, we wanted to dedicate our life to that. So we started our YouTube channel. And like you mentioned, we started getting a lot of comments from people asking, when do I grow here? When do I grow there? And I had worked at a software company as a product manager um, and as a tester for most of my career. And I was inspired by some of my coding friends to learn how to code. And they told me um, they would help me out. And um, one of them ended up coming to work on the app full time with me a few months after we started working on it. And uh, it just kind of snowballed. We went from starting on it to having a, an app in the app store within three months. And then from then on, it was our life was nothing but coding nights and weekends. And we had full time <laughs> jobs up until a few months ago um, doing other things. We just recently were able to go full time on on, uh, on this app. So um, it's just been a whirlwind. Wow. Congratulations. That's a super, that's a big change. It's probably a scary change, but it's super exciting. I'm very happy for you both. Yeah, that's a great, great story. Thank you. Now let's kind of just stress the East coast, you know, Oklahoma, the West coast, because the app does just that. You probably, maybe you guys can squeeze in radishes right now, but you can't do some more of the cooler weather crops and stuff like that. So if you're just getting started with gardening, I recommend checking out Seeds of Spoon. It will help you out because I can't really answer what's going on in Michigan or what's going on in Texas or what's going on in North Dakota. Actually, I know in North Dakota because somebody wrote me, they have a blizzard, so they're covered in snow. Oh. So they, they <laughs> oh, no. can't do anything, right? <laughs> so the anxiety with when to get started you know, can be put at ease with this app. But I also really encourage people to take notes. Kim, you know, I always say, you know, get the journal ready. That's right. Um, the best way to learn is to do some research, you know, watch a video or two, check out the app, get a plan, and then just kind of take notes and get started and go easy on yourself. You don't need to have perfection throughout it. I always say gardening is not a beauty contest. You know, it's just, what do you got to do to kind of get started? So if we were kind of pulling this all together, most areas start with a cool season and we plan our, our crops that way, direct sow certain cool crops. So maybe we could talk a little bit about those and then we start moving into the warm season. Well, yeah, I know. I don't know how it is for you, Dale and Carrie, but here in California, we actually have, we can grow year round, but we have kind of two cool seasons. So I, I was noticing here, just pulling up some of the vegetables, like there's dates on there, like when I can plant. So like in the fall or later in the fall really is when we do our cool vegetables. And then we might be able to squeeze a little bit more in, in the early spring, but it's pretty much during the winter time that we grow cool vegetables. So if you're just getting started out, I mean, how would people best use that section to kind of start? What do I do? Like the first time gardener opens up your app, what would be a good way for them to kind of get started with it? So I always try and recommend to people to start with what they like to eat already. 
But one feature that we built in the app to really help identify what should you be growing is the growing for health feature. So Carrie pioneered this feature that lets you sort or filter the plants list based on the health conditions the plants help with. So we started by figuring out what helps the most for anxiety and depression. You know, what has a lot of magnesium in it and things like that. So uh, if you choose anxiety or depression there, it'll show you the plants to start with. I think that's a great way to start. Um, you can also, you know, add on layers to filtering of what can be planted now in your area. So that's where I would recommend starting for people across the country. We also have a lot of content that talks about the easiest things to grow. Y'all do as well. I think that's great things to start by searching on YouTube or like learning about some of the easiest plants to grow like radishes or um, if you're going to start with tomatoes, maybe start with a cherry tomato because they're easy for the, the bigger ones and things like that. Yeah, it's important to have success, especially when you're first starting out. <laughs> Definitely. It's easy to get discouraged if something doesn't work out and you get overwhelmed. So yes. that's one of my mottos is start simple, get some success and then move on and expand your garden as you go. So some of my favorite plants. So let's just kind of do a quick round robin. Cool weather crops. I love purple top turnips. They're one of the easier crops to grow. They get huge. I replace them for potatoes and kind of make mashed potatoes out of them, except they're made out of turnips. Radishes, as you were saying, my, uh, why did I forget the name? French breakfast. They're all being harvested right now. The early uh, scarlet globes are coming in. Um, love the radishes. And I've decided, I've cut back a lot on my leafy greens. Um, I like spinach. Spinach here, I can plant, I can seed start in um, October, November, cover it with something basic, and then I get that crop way early, and then I also drop seeds. So that's what I would recommend if you're looking for something to cover kind of the basis of leafy green spinach. Um, love the turnips. Don't know what they have in them, but they taste delicious, and I think they are packed full of, of vitamins and minerals in there. And then the simple radish. Kim, you're next. Tag. Okay, I'm next. Um, I'd say one of my, I have a hard time growing the root vegetables because we get these random, lots of random actually, like 85, 90 degree days in the wintertime. So a lot of times they just don't, you know, form very well. Um, but one of my favorites is giant red mustard greens. I absolutely love it. Uh, it grows really well in the winter. It can kind of take a little bit more heat. The flowers, you know, once it does bolt and go to seed, um, the flowers are so pretty. The bees love them and I can put, the, put them on top of my salads. But a lot of times my cool weather crops will bolt pretty fast because of our warm weather. So um, grow a lot for the bees. Again, the flowers. Um, but I have to say giant red mustard is probably one of my very favorites. And it's just so easy for me to grow. So got to go with that one. How about you, Dale and Carrie? Well, I'd say my personal favorite is definitely Swiss chard. Oh, yes. cool. I love especially the bright lights and the different colors. It's so pretty and it tastes really good. We love using them as like tortilla replacements in ah. the kitchen. So we wait till they get bigger, bring them inside, use them as wraps, things like that. So good. Love, love that. Them. Those are beautiful. Yes. Beautiful plants. That's one of my favorite plants too. I cut the stem out usually and saute the stem, but we do use the yeah, leaves as wraps too. Yeah. How about you, Dale? I've got to agree with, with Gary on spinach. I'm a bit of a spinach collector. Uh, anytime I see a new variety I haven't grown, I've got to get some seeds in the ground and try it. The favorite variety I've landed on is Giant Noble for the same reason she's talked about for the tortilla replacements. I don't really like the flavor of chard as much, so I like to use the Giant Noble as a spinach replacement. So those are my favorite things to grow in the cool season, but it's also a close second to peas because I love how many peas you get from a plant. Oh, I and forgot. Yeah. Not matched. Like you can't match the taste of a pea from the garden versus the grocery store. And there's so many colors. That's the fun thing about peas. Yeah. Like grow yellow ones, green ones, purple ones. It's really fun. 
Yeah. I said, yeah, we grow here or I grow the um, giant noble too. It's a wonderful leaf and it really holds up in Maryland. Um, I mean, it takes a freeze. It takes a hard freeze, two inches in the soil and it stays, you know, intact and it will, it will come back um, and grow really crazily. Let's see, February, March, starting in March, when it just starts to warm up, the, the overwintered spinach goes crazy. And I want to add to my list four, because peas is one of them. I probably have 600 pea plants planted right now. And one of them is a purple potted variety. And for people that don't know, it's kind of late to get peas started in a lot of areas. Um, but again, I think the app will tell you exactly, you know, will it work out? However, even if it's late, Grow peas because you can cut the tendrils off and they taste just like peas. You can put them in salads so you can continue to grow them. You may not get a nice harvest of peas, but the plant is very, very uh, tasty, um, especially when the tendrils are young. And I have a pea that I've been growing the past couple of years called, I think it's called feisty pea. And it's actually a tendril pea. I mean, it does develop some peas itself, but it has gorgeous tendrils. I mean, it's, I don't know if Dale and Kira, if you've ever heard of that or grown that before, but it's just beautiful. It has like 25 million more tendrils than most peas have. And they're really good if you just saute them and throw them in like some scrambled eggs or in their risotto or something like that. They're absolutely delicious. And maybe one of the things is if you're just getting started with gardening is maybe go with, you know, the four, five, six things that we talked about for your first plantings of your cool crops, because it can get really overwhelming. You can try to throw in broccoli and cauliflower, and to me, at least in our zone, those are completely different beasts that tend to not do well. Cool season one here because it gets too warm. Um, the white butterfly loves to land on them, lay eggs for the green cabbage looper or, you know, green worm or whatever, um, cabbage worm. And they can be a lot of work. Cabbages are beautiful, but they're also really inexpensive at my grocery store, but take up a lot of space. So some of the things you want to think about is based on your garden size, you don't want to have, you know, eight giant cabbages when you could have, you know, 200 radishes, maybe, you know, 50 pea plants and stuff. So you want to think about the size of the vegetable. And also I think about, you know, the benefit, like love growing it, but, you know, technically if I can get a bag of carrots organic at Costco, <laughs> five pounds for three bucks, and I'm spending a lot of effort trying to grow carrots in my soil, which one do I want to do? But start with, you know, as you were saying, you know, the vegetables that you like the most and give them a try, see what happens. Do it as a test run because in many places we can then again start planting in August for the fall. I think one thing is cool that I really like about the, the plant section is that you can kind of scroll through and look at different vegetables. You have all kinds of different vegetables listed on there. I was just scrolling through this morning and going, oh, aloe vera. I've never grown aloe vera before. Maybe I should try that. So it kind of gives you some new ideas. Like once you've grown your, start started your simple garden, maybe grown three to five vegetables, it's really fun to scroll through and then figure out what else do I want to try. So um, I think that's very, very helpful for things that you might not have ever thought about growing before. How many plants, herbs, and vegetables would you say are in, in the database in the app? Oh, it's over a hundred now, and wow. we're going to be adding a lot more here coming very soon. So <laughs> I think we're at one thirteen right now. One thirteen? Wow, yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and but, that's um, well, we did, we just built a new admin app for Carrie, mm -hmm. so she can go in and easily add plants. Before she had to do it in code, she had to learn how to code Ooh. to do it. And, <laughs> Scary. <laughs> 
full data out of plant. So now yeah. with this nice little admin app we built for, it's going to be a lot easier. Very nice. Good. Now, are you do, are you doing tomatoes, for instance, um, by variety or just generally as tomatoes, like maybe cherry or uh, we split them know, out and uh, and, and determinate and indeterminate, but we call it bush and vining to help people understand. So we split those varieties out into those two different types. The I, the information is pretty identical, but you know there's some subtleties that are different. I yeah, I think it's important because as we move into next, like the warm weather crops. Um, and the warm crops, generally speaking, the plants are liking 50 to 60 degree earth temperature, ambient temperatures getting into the 70s, regularly 80 degrees. And one of the things that people kind of stumble on, too, is they don't know when they first start the difference between a determinate and indeterminate type tomato. So they're planting them for the wrong reasons. Determinate tomatoes are wonderful in containers. They get to a set height. Um, they tend to flower over a week or two period, and then they set fruit over a couple of weeks, and then they kind of die back. So they don't get out of control. They produce a lot of tomatoes, and then they kind of die off. The indeterminates will just kind of go crazy, and they can grow six, seven, eight, nine feet, um, usually need a bigger container, are more of a challenge if you're growing in containers because you have to keep up on the water and you're feeding. But you do want to keep that in mind because there's also bush varieties of squash and different plants. And that's also something to kind of think about when you're kind of moving into the warm season and, and thinking about the size of your garden. We were talking about tomatoes and that's definitely one of my favorite vegetables to grow. I mean, there's so many different varieties and so many different health benefits to tomatoes as well. And I love how you were talking about like certain vegetables really helping with your depression and anxiety, Dale. Have you found any particular benefits to tomatoes that really help in any you know health aspect of your life or known that to help someone else's life? Tomatoes really can be a problem for some people with anxiety and depression. True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I have to avoid them sometimes depending on the variety. I haven't really like figured out the exact varieties I can eat more of, but I know that plants in that family can be, a, can be a trigger for people like me sometimes. Right. Was there any other t particular plants that like specific warm weather crops that have helped with you know, different issues, um, health benefit or health issues in your life or your family? Yeah, my go-tos and, and like a lot of my crops for, for that are going to be in the spring with like kale and spinach. But in the warm season, um, a lot of like um, the acorn squash seeds and a lot of the pumpkin seeds and things like that um, can help with anxiety and depression. So that's the the thing I switch to in the summer is a lot of those bitter, bitter seeds that come okay. from some of the plants or um, what are some of the other, the apricot seeds too? Those are kind of a different thing, but pomegranate. <clears throat> yeah. We don't really grow as much pomegranate. We, yeah. we saw one at the nursery this morning. Though. We know. thought about getting <laughs> it. So it's tempting. Yeah. <laughs> now, Carrie, you have a background as a nurse. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I just love the health section on your app. So how did that all come about? And was your background helpful with that? Or tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, I feel like it was absolutely helpful because <laughs> I sure. took so many different nutrition classes in my schooling. So whenever we were talking about all this, so it just kind of flowed naturally. I was like, wait a second, why don't we have a filter for different health conditions? Because there's so many different things. I mean, like heart disease, diabetes, like so many different health benefits for why people should be growing and why people want to grow. So and that's definitely why a lot of people get into it is to help them with their health. So yeah. at this point in the year, it's, well, by the time this episode airs, it'll be in May. Most people will be planting their warm weather vegetable gardens. Um, what would you say is like the most common 
I'd say health issue right now being as a nurse and like, what could they plant right now to help that? Oh gosh. That's Would it be like heart, heart or maybe diabetes? <laughs> a lot of people are dealing with that. Um, um I mean, too late for herbs. Joint I health. I know there's so many different herbs that are amazing for all of the heart condition. Unless I feel like that that's always my go-to is any okay. sort of herbs and suggesting those. Cause those go and they also pair really well with so many different things that you can grow from the garden and it makes things taste really good. So it's a really ah. easy thing to add to your diet and a really good health booster. It's like adding some multivitamins. And you don't have to use as much salt when you have herbs. I mean, it's that exactly. which is helpful to your heart health and everything too. Yeah. Although I do like my salt. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> one, I mean, one of the things, you know, as a mental health therapist, we were always in some cases, people need medication, need doctor management, but they also have such a lacking structure and lacking diet that it impacts them greatly. And part of what I like is what you can find in the vegetables, in the seeds, but not in the form of a vitamin or like, you know, a gallon of carrot juice. There is so much we lose by thinking we're getting our supply of carrot, whatever, by drinking four cups of carrot juice. Um, or four cups of apple juice. In fact, if you're drinking four cups of apple juice, it can be too much sugar, even though it's natural sugar and stuff like yeah. that. You need the whole fruit. You need the nuts. You need the flesh. You need all of that. And I think that makes a big difference. And I think, at least in my opinion, the quality of the food is as important as being out there and growing it yourself. Like I always and will always stress the importance of having a routine that you find value in, that you can get lost in, that you can put in seeds, totally blank, brown canvas, and then come back in two weeks and now it's starting to turn green. Come back two weeks later, it's all green. Come back later, it's got fruits and vegetables growing. Come back later, it has flowers. I think that when, I guess for me, when you talk about health, there is nutritional health, there is mental health, and then there's kind of the overall umbrella. And I, I think that's why I value garden, gardening so much. Absolutely. And a lot of it is prevention too. So, I mean, just getting out there and eating healthy can prevent numerous different health conditions. Yeah. yeah and it, it, and it's, it's the quality and changing of the foods that you're not just stuck on the same food day after day after day. It really makes a difference. And it does taste great. You know, a little extra salt, maybe. Yeah, it tastes a little <laughs> bit better, but it's it's just wonderful. So the top warm weather crops that you guys seed, like, well, when you're doing direct seeding, um, squash, zucchini, pumpkins, cucumbers grow really well from direct seed. And sometimes there's a lot of confusion. People ask me, should I start these inside? Should I start them in containers? When you're, at least in my my opinion, when you're getting into the warm crops, the bigger the seed, the better it seems to do when you plant it directly. And I really recommend people giving that a try too. You don't have to spend a lot of money buying a zucchini plant or a squash plant. Um, you're not saving that much time because when the soil temperature is right, that seed germinates. It can grow literally inches a day. Um, but I do recommend if you get to go with something, um, straight neck yellow squash and... I believe it's, it's a black beauty or is that eggplant? There's a dark green oh. zucchini. So that, yeah. So the dark green zucchini is wonderful. Don't overplant them. 
they get huge. But if you're a family of four, <laughs> one squash plant, yellow straight neck, one zucchini plant is plenty. And you'll be able to kind of take care of those better than if you had eight or 12. Because if you have eight or 12, you're going to get all kinds of insects and diseases and stuff like that. <laughs> it's hard to plant just one though, for me. <laughs> and right. you guys probably have a lot of space there where you could spread out a little bit more, right? And for your family, you might need a couple, but yeah. uh, not quite as space challenged probably as I am here. <laughs> I forgot how many acres do you guys have? We have five acres. We got to share with the nice. chicken. All of our gardens have to be protected by the electric <laughs> fencing or else okay. the chicken powered. So the, the, the animals get free reign of, of all five acres and we get a little <laughs> bit to grow on. <laughs> how many fruit trees do you have? I'm up to about 16 now on my two acres. Oh, well, we have four or five out there right now that are established. They're in the ground. Yeah. And then we just bought four more today. (laughs) I'm excited. Oh my gosh. What kind did you get? Got three apples and a plum. I'm excited about the plum. Nice. (laughs) Plums are like to make jelly or jam or just eat them fresh. All of, all of it. Everything. Yes. (laughs) Do you have fruit trees, Kim? Do you have one? We have um, a lime and a lemon tree in a container, but if I plant too many trees in my backyard, I get too much shade. So, you know, I, I don't really do fruit trees too much. I, you know, I have the berries and stuff because they're a lot mm-hmm. smaller, but mm-hmm. don't have the space for them really. So but the- when I actually, I grew up on five acres. That's where we had a big farm or garden, not a big farm, but a garden. That's how I grew up gardening. And then my parents moved as I was an adult to two acres. It was an apple orchard. So like 60 apple trees. So I have great memories of my mom. Like we all came and picked the apples, made this incredible apple pie. And of course we did the apple press with the apple cider. So, I mean, that would be really fun. I'm sure you guys are going to love having that. Yes. So for apple trees or actually for fruit trees in general, like, let me just kind of think about it. So on the East coast, we get freezes. And a lot of the fruit trees we grow need 40, 60, 80 chill hours, which is that cold temperature so that they kind of go through the process of whatever happens so that they can bear fruit come the spring. And I would imagine the chill hours change as you move across the United States. And you guys, obviously, you can have apples. You have enough chill hours. But when you're purchasing fruit plants, especially our fruit trees, through uh, the mail, you got to make sure you match the tree to your gardening area and that you have enough chill hours because we can't grow oranges, um, lemons or limes because the cold will kill them off. We'd have to put them into, to a, um, cold frame or something like that. But each area is going to have, you know, temperatures that kind of dictate what kind of fruit tree that you can have. And it's probably a good idea to ask like at your local garden center. I mean, they're most likely going to carry the type of trees that are, appropriate for your area but you always do want to ask around is this going to work here or what have you found that's been successful so definitely a good idea to get a tree that will actually grow in your area rather than just a random one that you're not sure if it's going to live or die in the winter time right and i i've you know people follow me on instagram there's a certain company that i've been kind of annoyed with but i'm not going to bring it up now but yeah a legit nursery and people that you can trust because some places are just selling things to, you know, get you to buy them. So, you know, find a trusted local nursery, um, you know, ask them what they recommend and build relationships. Yeah. Relationships that way. That's really the best way to go. Any warm crops you guys 
would consider maybe offbeat or people should give it a try if they you so know, want to go here in Oklahoma we go from spring to extremely hot is overnight it seems like by May we're hitting 90s and we're in 100s in June oh, wow. so we have to transition off into some of the into the, the warmer season variety uh, things pretty quick so the things we're looking to grow like basically we have bean bush beans going until we hit may or june then we switch to southern peas so that's probably one shout out i would give if you will are just are there black-eyed peas or southern peas they do really well in the heat and you get a lot of beans from them um we also do a lot of okra once it gets that hot um and then we do the three sisters gardening method where you grow the the corn you know or the sunflowers well, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of times we'll substitute the pan of sunflowers instead of corn because they'll hold the beans up better and then uh, the Orient Wonder pole beans seem to do a little better in the heat um, than some of the other ones we tried. Um, and then also a tip I like to throw out for greens in the summer is for the uh, the, the New Zealand spinach. Uh, that one does really well. It takes a long time to germinate and get going. So you got to make sure you start it pretty much now so that by the time it gets hot, you've got some to transplant. Are you putting it, the New Zealand in the ground or are you, are you germinating it in a container? Um, typically, we're just germinating it outside just directly. We, we grow 99% of our stuff in smart pots. So we're doing pretty much everything inside of a smart pot. How long? I'm just curious. How long does it take to germinate, would you say? It could take like three weeks. It's almost like a carrot where okay. it takes one days for it to, I think sometimes even longer. Um, especially if we're starting them in April because we'll have those random, you know, still cold nights that come through early in April. But if we start them now, I think we'll have, we'd have them up at three weeks. I appreciate it. Cause I tried growing that and it would always seem like, all right, well, it's been two weeks and I would kind of move on and then probably plant it over and weeded it out. So I'm going to give that a try again. And I like, so, um, the Southern peas, they're not actually peas, they're beans for people mm -hmm. that don't, don't know. So it is a good transition peas. Um, the bush beans, you know, a bean variety that can take the heat and you can kind of keep that going, you know, through the summer. And beans, no matter what they are, are great to direct sow too. Um, and again, you start those, you know, as the soil starts to warm. And then you're also paying attention. Well, I guess when your temperature is getting to 90 to 100, the, the soil temperature in that top four inches is starting to get into the 60s and 70s. So you are paying attention to soil temperature and stuff like that. The beauty of the three sisters is the squash usually cools the ground and sometimes allows you to grow a crop better in the high heat of the summer because the leaves keep that, that ground cooler. I was going to give a little shout out to the New Zealand spinach because it's such a beautiful green and it's super tasty. One thing I found that's helped it germinate, and if you're germinating directly outside, you know, more power to you because it is a little bit difficult to germinate, but I've started it in the house and put it on a heat mat and it'll pop through. It still takes a little bit of time, you know, a week, maybe two weeks probably. But then once you get it outside, it just grows like crazy. I mean, you can cut it back like here, it'll grow year round or I've had the same plant that I've cut way back several times. and It's been out there for a couple of years, you know, off and on. So it really is like, and it's just beautiful and really, really good. So yeah, definitely should, big shout out to that. It's one of my favorites too. And does it taste like spinach? For instance, sweet potato leaves you can eat and I want to like them and I try them every year and I can't stand the way that they taste. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, is it taste like spinach? Not, no, it's not as good as spinach. You need to cook it down. Spinach. I like raw. I don't like, I don't like New Zealand spinach as raw. I have to cook it down more. But it's really good to add, like a lot of that stuff we're throwing into spaghetti sauce 
Mm -hmm. and we're hiding in that anyway. We're just trying to get the nutrition from it. So um, it's great for that, but it's not as good for fresh salads. That's a bummer about it, in my opinion. Some people like it, but um, yeah. I don't think I could eat a whole salad of it, but it's really nice, like mixed in with other greens to have a little bit of a different, you know, flavor in there. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with you too. I'll mostly like saute it, like put it in scrambled eggs or throw it in with something else. All right. It's on my list. I'm going to, I'm going to try yeah, and, it's a fun one. and the seeds grow. are like really interesting looking. They're larger seeds and have kind of little spiny things on them. They're really beautiful. Kind of like a beet seed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's how I cook. Um, I actually call it like just pasta sauce because sometimes it'll be like three tomatoes and maybe an eggplant couple of squash, other leafy greens. So I'm making pasta sauces all the time because that's kind of the way I kind of process everything till I get better at canning. I make tons of sauce. I freeze it flat in a bag and then I just use that over the winter. So I love just, you know, pulling whatever's fresh, including the herbs um, and just making pasta sauces. I'm getting hungry now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, time for lunch for me anyway. <laughs> so... Then you come back to the cool season. And again, I recommend people finding your app because every garden is going to have at least two growing times, cool and warm. And if you're, unfortunately, I don't know if it was North Dakota or South Dakota or Montana, just to be honest, but there's blizzards going on. So they have a very short season. So they get kind of a cool season, starting a lot of their warm crops indoors makes a difference because they don't have a window like we do here in Maryland, which I can start growing really March 1st. And now with the way weather's been for the last five years, I can grow into November, you know, and if I use a light cold frame, I could even grow into December. So you might have three growing seasons or you may have two growing seasons, but no matter how many seasons you have, you're going to have to deal with pests and disease that show up in your garden. And the app has some information on that. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was organic treatments or organic ways to kind of manage problems. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we built the critter section in the app to help identify both good bugs and bad bugs in the garden. So there's a list of beneficials and a list of pests. And for each pest, we have all the organic treatment methods that we use in our garden, whether that's things like BTK for caterpillars or insect netting that we use for a lot of different pests or motion-activated sprinklers or different things like that. So there's, um, we've tried to go through and identify all the most common pests and then um, also the information for the beneficials as well and how to encourage those to your garden because we believe those are just as important in fighting off pests as anything else you can do is encouraging as many of the beneficial uh, critters as you can. And sometimes identifying even just the beneficials too, especially like, like the ladybug larva because they look so weird. Sometimes people mm -hmm. think that and it's, no, don't hurt those. <laughs> I think that's what's really neat is the pictures you have on there are amazing. I mean, sometimes half the battle is what the heck is this crawling on my plant? You know, so the pictures I was looking through like, wow, I've never seen a picture of that. I've always kind of wondered what that is. And I mean, they're just incredible. And then once you can identify it, then you have all the treatments on there um, that help people really know exactly what to do. So. Super helpful. Really kudos to you guys. They're gorgeous pictures of bugs and insects and critters and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Larva. <laughs> What's number one insect pest in your area? The number one on my list as far as most wanted is squash bugs because the <laughs> other ones are pretty easy to handle. But squash bugs and squash vine borer are the two. There are nemesis that, here. They, yeah. 
the hardest ones. Cucumber beetles can be a challenge sometimes also, but... Those we are make the top a good three. trap for the cucumber beetles. Yeah, so. we have at least something we can do for the cucumber beetles, the squash yeah. bugs. I mean, it's it's a war. I mean, we have we plant blue hubbard early in the spring to attract them, and then we put a lot of boards around it, and then try and uh, get a big fire going and throw the whole plant into the fire with all the squash <laughs> bugs trap them there. So it's a whole method we do, but it never fails that by July they've taken over. So, are you getting squash bugs in California? I know some things you just don't get over there. No, I've had occasional squash bugs, but uh, no, we don't get the squash bugs much or those uh, vine borers. We do have lots of aphids. Um, you get leaf miners. Leaf miners. I haven't had much of a problem with it the past couple of years. Um, some years it's kind of funny because the uh, the hornworms will come in and I'll be picking off like 25 a day. And then other years I don't have them at all. So it just, you know, it's it's weird from year to year, but aphids are pretty much consistent like every year really have to watch out for them. I think that's probably the most common issue that most people have is the aphids. Um, but the beetles and the borers and things like that don't have a lot of. That's the best reason I've ever heard to move to California. Because yeah. <laughs> aphids you can deal with, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Aphids are no problem. Bring in the ladybugs. But yeah, require a host of, of toddlers to keep to manage them. We pay our kids to, for every squash bug they find, we pay them a quarter. So that's, that's oh, wow. our big they're getting rich off that huh yes they are (laughs) but they love it (laughs) um if you were gonna take a look at say a fungus or kind of leaf diseases what's the main one that comes to your area powdery mildew because we get a intense heavy rainfall during certain times of the year so no matter what you do sometimes it's hard to prevent powdery mildew especially on the zucchini leaves well um, for that we like to grow a lot of our zucchini vertically on like a t-post where we just tie it up the T-post as it grows to keep the leaves up off the ground to help with that. But that's the biggest issue we deal with. And there's there's always the tomato diseases and stuff like that. But we try and grow uh, disease-resistant varieties to help with some of that. Sounds just like my garden. I mean, I think we probably have the same same issues that show up. You guys get a little bit hotter, quicker, and longer and more intense than we do here, but we have that humid area. If you ever have a chance for tomato diseases, hydrogen peroxide, is changed the way that I can garden. Um, I can't remember the ratio. I don't usually like saying it on a podcast, but I think it's like six parts water, one part H2O2, hydrogen peroxide. And it literally cleans the leaves. So like early blight, leaf spot and stuff like that just aren't an issue, as long as I keep up on the spraying. But that's kind of one of the things if you're new to gardening is you're going to kind of learn, you know, obviously what you enjoy when to plant certain seeds, really understand cool crops, warm crops. And as I was trying to say before, maybe another cool season of cool crops. But you're asking to learn about the pests and the diseases and trying to identify them. And it's really important to learn what those insects are, what those diseases are, and take note of when they show up. Because the best time to deal with them is two weeks before they arrive. And prevention really, really goes a long way. And just about every garden, even though we have you know similar gardens, um, it's going to vary about you know what shows up and, and what takes hold. And that kind of brings up a good point too, is that uh, Gary's big on journaling. And uh, I kind of keep notes on my phone as to kind of what goes on. And I try to anyway, what what I spray when and that type of thing, but I'm not super great at it, but I did notice you guys have a really good kind of garden journal kind of section. Um, so could you explain a little bit about that? Cause there's lots of different cool parts about that. that I saw. Yeah. We're, we're really excited about garden plus. So 
Um, garden Plus right now allows you to log plants from your garden and it calculates estimated sprouting dates and estimated harvest dates for you. Um, we're adding the ability or we're, we're adding in reminders for watering and fertilizing and everything of that nature. Oh, cool. You can also add notes and photos and everything like that. This is where we're spending the bulk of our time for this year now is building out Garden Plus. We built the prototype while we still had other full-time jobs. And now that we can focus on this full-time, uh, it's a lot of fun. We're all the kind of big dreams we've had about things like, you know, being able to draw out diagrams of your garden and, you know, take pictures of things to identify stuff, like all sorts of fun stuff like that we're working on now. So, um, but right now Garden Plus is out as a free preview. And you can log as many plants as you want, and you can get the reminders that we have out now. Here in a few months, it's going to become paid, but it's going to be less than a packet of seeds per month. So wow. it's never more, uh, more expensive than what um, hopefully most people can afford. I feel like that's a fair price. It's pretty neat. Well, and that way, you know, like if all your tomatoes are ready to harvest in August, don't go on vacation. You know, <laughs> like, okay, we want to be here for that. It's pretty important. But I love how you both have taken what you love, your backgrounds, your strengths, and combine them. And it's so neat to hear how it's, you're able to do this full time now. I mean, it's really, you know, just a grassroots thing you started at and now you're able to uh, really help people all over the world. So congratulations. It's so exciting. It is exciting. Very blessed. I wish you both success because it is a wonderful story. And I just love hearing how people's passion sort of takes them in a direction where probably in 2014, you didn't think you'd be sitting here on a podcast talking about your app, you know, <laughs> like it wouldn't even have registered on there on the top 20 things that could possibly happen in, in 2022. What I like about the app, and I'm going to really recommend it for um, just about any gardener actually, but for new gardeners or relatively new gardeners is it's a place where you can get all the information you need in one place. And you can kind of start that journal that I always talk about. Because I can't remember what I had for dinner three days ago. You're not going to remember even what seeds you planted in the ground without a marker, much less when diseases and pests showed up. Um, and you even could get the timing lost. You're not going to remember, should I start them in you know, April or should I start them in early May or something like that for your seeds? So I think it's really worth you know people adding that to, to their phones and giving it a try. And I like, too, that you can get on the computer because... Um, I like to type with 10 fingers and not just my thumbs on my phone. Right. So it, make, it makes life a little bit, a little bit easier. Yeah, it definitely makes that a lot easier. Kim, your book, how was that going? I know you had a big event. Was it yesterday or two uh, days ago? A couple days ago. Yeah, it was on Sunday. Uh, went well, we had an official in-person book launch. That was really exciting. Haven't really been able to do in-person events for a couple of years. So there's a, a my favorite family-owned local nursery. We're talking about local nurseries um, near where I live. It's called Topanga Nursery in Chatsworth, California. A little shout out to them. They're beautiful. Just It's like a haven for gardeners. And that's where we chose to have our book launch. We've gotten to be good friends with them over the past few years. We had probably 60 or 70 people come. So it was super cool um, to meet people that you've been talking with online. And then just to put a face with a name was really fun. And so many people just mentioned how our books and videos have really helped them out, helped their health, changed their lives. So it was super motivating and inspiring and really, really uh, loved being able to meet people. It was a real, a real joy. Now I want to add that at Freetown farm, if people hear this, we're going to be doing um, our plant sales now starting probably you won't 
you'll miss the April 30th one. But we're going to be doing uh, plant sales all the way to the middle of June. And then we're going to pick it back up again in August for your cool season garden. But if you go to Instagram and you follow the Community Ecology Institute, you'll be able to find out when we're going to have the plant sales, a little bit about what plants are there. And that'll be an opportunity. I'm usually there. I can meet you, say hello. Um, but it would really help us out if you come out there and pick up some plants. And we're going to be selling them, I think, pretty inexpensively. $2 a plant, you know, for like a tomato plant, you know, a six pack of Swiss chard for $2. So it really helps us. And I think the prices are good. Dale and Carrie, do you want to tell us one more time the name of the app where you can get it? And Kim and I want to thank you so much for being part of our podcast. I'm looking at the time and I can't believe 55 minutes has already gone by. <laughs> Yeah, you can find our app uh, by searching for From Seed to Spoon. Uh, you can also go to our website at seed2spoon.net. Spell that however you want. I bought all the different domains to cover it. <laughs> oh, smart. Um, uh, but, I, you know, I also want to say thank you to both of you. Because, like I said, we started gardening. Y'all were two of the first channels we found. Y'all inspired us to garden. Y'all inspired us to start a YouTube channel. Y'all inspired us to help people. Um, y'all are a big part of, of why we're here today because y'all inspired us to help do this. And the determination y'all have had over the many years you've been putting out videos day after day, there's a, there's always a new, uh, Callie Kim or a new Gary Pilarchik video coming out. And, you know, from firsthand experience, I can tell you, we know how hard it is for that to keep up with that. And we just appreciate what you do for the world and for everything you've done to inspire us. So Thank you for having us on today. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And part of the reason Kim and I both love gardening is because we get to meet people around the globe. And gardeners, wonderful group of people. Doesn't matter what country we're all in. The questions are the same. The interests are the same. The passions are the same. So this is, you know, this was a, a great podcast for both of us, yes. too. So we thank you guys for being yes. here. Thank you very much, Dale and Carrie. And thank you so much for your kind words as well. And we're looking forward, I'm looking forward to using your app this season for the first time and learning more about different plants. And you guys have just done an amazing job. I'm really inspired. So thank you so much for being here today. All right. And we'll talk with everybody next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.